Well, good morning. This morning is cooler in here, and the sermon will be much cooler than last week, even though Harrison did a phenomenal job last week talking about sex. So don't check out just because we're not going to talk a lot about sex this morning. We are coming to the very end of our series, Song of Songs, and this is a beautiful book about God's intent for intimacy and marriage and how that intimacy points us to the romantic God and his love for us. So this morning, I want us to look at two things as we look at our text. First, covenantal love, and then second, love's holy longing. Let me pray for us. Father, we're grateful this morning for the privilege to come before you as your body. Lord, we're mindful this morning of those in Texas who are coming this morning to worship you full of hearts of grief over the loss of so many young lives. Lord, we pray for your comfort over them this morning. We cry out to you, how long, how long? And yet we know that you are a faithful God. And so we ask you this morning, not only that you would comfort them, but that you comfort our hearts. And Lord, that you give us ears to hear, Holy Spirit, anew and afresh, this last chapter of Song of Songs. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open those, or you can look in your bulletin. And the first thing that we're going to consider this morning is covenantal love. Now, I'm a huge This Is Us fan. And uh, for any of you who have been watching, this was the last season, season six. And Dan Fogelman, who basically wrote out the whole six seasons from the very beginning, before it was even filmed... He wanted, in season six, to talk about what he calls the beauty of divorce and the normalcy of divorce. And so in season six, he decides to break up Katobi, which is Kate and Toby, which were my favorite couple in the whole season. And the cast was talking after the season ended, and they were asking, is there anything about the season that you didn't like? And Chrissy, who played Kate, said, I didn't like that Dan had a divorce, and that divorce was me and Toby. And the other cast members chimed in about, yeah, I understand that, but divorce is so beautiful. It's a good thing. It's something that we all go through. And as I heard the cast talking about that, and as I reflected on the season of This Is Us, I couldn't help but feel sad. Because in our society today, people have not only lost sight of the permanence of marriage, but they make divorce out to be something that it's not. They say that divorce is normal, it's beautiful, it's a part of growing up and self-actualization. In the final chapter of Song of Songs, the author says God's design for marriage is permanent. Marriage is a lifelong commitment between a husband and a wife. The love is jealous, possessive, attentive, and exclusive. 
Look at verse 5. The scene begins, Who is that coming up from the wilderness? Picture a group of teenage girls holding up their phones, filming this newlywed couple as they're coming back from their honeymoon. And then in verse 5 it continues, Who's that leaning on her beloved? They're seeing the couple leaning on one another. And she's holding tightly to her lover. Her head is resting on his shoulder. Their hands are clasped as they're walking along. And then she reminds him of the intimacy that they had just experienced. Under the apple tree, I awakened you. This is the setting of this beautiful duet that Longman describes as the most memorable and intense poem in the entire book. This picture of this young couple coming back from their honeymoon, I couldn't help but think of Les Mis. And you have Marius and and Cosette falling in love. I'm not going to sing it for you. I'll read it. Marius says, a heart full of love, a heart full of song. Cosette says, a heart full of love, no fear, no regret. Marius, Cosette, I don't know what to say. Cosette, then make no sound. Marius, I am lost. Cosette says, I am found. Marius says, a single look, and I knew. And Cosette says, I knew it too. A heart full of love, a heart full of you. The two young lovers that we have been walking with through these eight chapters, they are smitten with one another. But as we all know, they're young, and feelings can be fleeting. Attraction comes and goes. The pressure of life will soon bear down on them. Work, children, sicknesses will take their toll. So the question for us this morning is what is the secret of a long-lasting marriage? And the answer is covenantal love. Look at verse 6. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. The author here, he's using covenantal language. When a covenant was ratified between a king and his people, a seal was placed on a parchment, signifying that that promise could never be broken. We see this seal in the book of Esther as King Xerxes establishes a decree that can't be broken. We see seals used by kings and queens throughout the Middle Ages saying, you are mine and I am yours. Together we will stand united and together we will fight our enemies, no matter how great or small. Paul writes that the covenant between Christ and his followers is sealed, stamped by the indwelling Holy Spirit. When two people get married, they enter into a covenant with one another and in a covenant with God. I was at a wedding yesterday afternoon, and the, the couple pledged their lives to one another for better or for worse, for richer or for poor, in sickness and in health, to death do us part. They make a commitment to one another, and more importantly, listen to this, more importantly, they make a commitment to God. 
She says, I want my name pressed all over your heart. The center of his thoughts and dreams. And he says, I want your name stamped all over my body. For love is strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. It flashes or flashes of fire. The very flame of the Lord. Covenantal love is an everlasting love. It is a jealous love saying you belong to me and I belong to you. There's a mutual exclusivity to it. 1 Corinthians 7.4, Paul writes this, The wife's body does not belong to her. The husband's body does not belong to him. Covenant love establishes the one flesh union between he and she where now they belong to one another and to God. And while our love may falter at times, the author says the love between a husband and a wife is lit on fire by the divine love. In the midst of our romantic love, the flame of the Lord exists. It is the Lord who holds our love together. In verse 7, many waters can't quench love. Neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. Solomon offers her a thousand lovers. And she says to him in verse 12, I'm not going to do that. I'm not interested, Solomon. My vineyard is my very own. And he is before me. I have my man. Solomon, you can have your thousands. She echoes the words of Whitney Houston. I will always love you. And for those of you who love The Greatest Showman, she echoes the words of Zac Efron and Zendaya. You're made to be mine, not can keep us apart. C.S. Lewis says it this way. Nearly all the greatest love poetry songs have been produced by Christians. Love songs all over the world are full of vows of eternal constancy. Marriage is not forcing upon the passion of love something which is foreign to that passion's own nature. It is demanding that lovers should take seriously something which their passion of itself impels them to do. In this last chapter of Song of Songs, the author says, love between a husband and a wife is covenantal. It transcends emotions, romance, attractions, physical limitations, and time. And just as God established an everlasting covenant, a Hesed covenant with us, his bride, Jesus calls us to establish a covenant with our spouse that water can't quench, nor floods drown out, nor the grave can swallow up. Covenantal love proclaims an oft-repeated phrase in the Song of Songs, I am my beloved's, and his desire is for me. It is when we hold to this and invite God to have his way inside of us, individually and in our marriage, 
that we have the opportunity, we as followers of Christ, we have an opportunity to break the statistics concerning divorce and shout to the world, there is a different way. We can persevere just as God has persevered with us. And so I wonder this morning, how might we more fully embrace the covenantal nature of love in our marriage? What does it look like for us to go back to our vows every week and remind ourselves of what we said to our spouse as we stood before them? How do we who are single gently remind those who are married of their covenant that they made with one another when they're tempted to walk away? And how would our relationships as a church body look different if we move towards one another with covenantal love? In this passage this morning, the author is ending reminding us that marriage is between a a man and a woman. And marriage is meant to be forever. It's a covenant. And that covenantal love is what keeps us together. And that flame of Yahweh burns so that we might walk beside one another until Christ comes again. And I would be remiss to speak on the issue of divorce this morning. Because the Bible is clear. Yes, there is covenantal love. And marriage is permanent and forever. But Scripture speaks that in the cases, two cases, the cases where one of the spouse commits adultery or one of the spouse abandons the other emotionally or physically, abusing them. In those two cases, it is permissible for one of those spouses to break the covenant and to walk away because the other had ultimately broken the covenant and the vows to love and respect and care for them. And so if you're here this morning and you have walked that path of divorce, know that we see you, we love you, we care for you, and we are your church family this morning. So the first thing we see in our text this morning is covenantal love. And the second thing we see is love's holy longing. Carl Rahner once said, In the torment of the insufficiency of everything attainable, we eventually realize that here in this life, all symphonies remain unfinished. Let me repeat that. In the torment of the insufficiency of everything attainable, we eventually realize that here in this life, all symphonies remain unfinished. God gave us sex in the context of marriage, and it's a beautiful gift to be enjoyed. And as we discussed throughout this series, intimacy between a husband and wife, it's for pleasure, it's for procreation. But sex, ultimately, within a marriage, is incomplete 
Let me say that again. Sex within a marriage ultimately is incomplete. It is an unfinished symphony. Now, God does this not to frustrate us, not to punish us, not to discourage us, but rather to call us to a deeper longing for himself. Song of Songs whispers to us that we were created for a deep, abiding romance with God himself. The Song of Songs, it ends not with completion, but with longing. The young couple, they continue to love one another and no doubt probably continue to experience intimacy with one another, but their romance is an unfinished symphony. Look at verse 13. He says, Oh, you who dwell in the gardens, how wonderful that your companions can listen to your voice. Let me hear it too. His lover, she's in the garden, but she's estranged from him. He yearns for closer proximity. And she feels the same. She says to him in verse 14, Make haste, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountain of spices. She says, Stop what you're doing. Be speedy like a gazelle or a young stag and come to me. I long to see you. I miss you. The couple is living in the tension that befalls all of us this side of heaven. Whether we're married or whether we're single, they're living with a longing for more romance. They're living for a longing for more love. They're living for a longing for deeper affection and deeper connection. Ronald Rollhaster says in the book, The Holy Longing, the greatest human hunger felt in every cell in our being, is that we cannot be completely united with everyone and everything. Augustine, who sought to fill his hunger through sex, says it this way, our hearts are restless within us. No matter how great your marriage is, no matter how great your sex life is, it is incomplete. It will leave you in a lonely place, longing for more. And God created you this way. Why? Because he is a jealous God. He longs for us to come to him, to look to him for affection and love. When we think of our relationship with God, often we think of agape love or philia love. We think of Christ moving toward us. As a brother, we think of God moving toward us as a father. And while those are true, God also loves us with an eros love, a romantic love. And the Song of Psalms, it reminds us that God moves toward us and wants to romance us. Paul says in Ephesians 5, 30 through 32, Therefore a man shall leave his father, and mother, and hold fast to his wife. And the two, they shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Paul here is saying the beauty of marriage is not ultimately about a a man and a woman. The beauty of marriage points us to our marriage with Jesus Christ. 
their great romantic love isn't between a husband and a wife. It's between Christ and his followers. The whole book of Hosea is about God pursuing after his adulterous bride. God moving toward his people with eros, agape, and philia loves. Rollheiser explains it this way. Sexuality is a beautiful, good, extremely powerful, sacred energy given us by God and experienced in every cell of our being as an irrepressible urge to overcome our incompleteness, to move toward unity and consummation with that which is beyond us. It is also the pulse to celebrate, to give and to receive delight to find our way back to the Garden of Eden where we can be naked, shameless, and without worry and work as we make love in the moonlight. All these hungers in the full maturity culminate in one thing, a deeper intimacy with God. We were created to be a part of God's divine romance. And it is only here where our joy is made complete. The Lord is passionate for you. He's jealous in his affection for you. He desires to be in an exclusive covenantal relationship with you and with me. And the question for us this morning is do we move toward him with the same passion? Do you miss God in the same way you miss your spouse when you're away from her or him for two or three or four or five days? Do you miss God in the same way? Do you hear the voice of a lover when you speak to God? This is a whole new level of spiritual life, a holy longing that God has birthed in each of us for himself. And if we leave this study of Song of Songs and we have a deeper intimacy in our marriages, then that's a wonderful thing. But if if we stop there, then we've missed the beauty of the Song of Songs because ultimately it is calling us into a deep, romantic, fulfilling relationship with the Lord. And this side of heaven, it is the only thing our Romance with God is the only thing that will fulfill us, that will make our joy complete, that will enable us to move toward others with agape love. It enables us to move toward our spouses with the same love and compassion. This is the beauty of agape love, philia love, and eros love. And I want to encourage those of you who are married. Befriend the singles around you. Because as Paul says, it is better to be single than to be married. Because when you're single, you have no other option than to move toward God and see him ultimately as your lover, your romance, your partner. When you're married, it's easy to kind of get entangled and tied up just between the two of you and your nuclear family. 
So get with singles. Talk with them about their intimacy with God. Talk about them how they enter into their relationship with God. Unfortunately, the one bad thing that came out of the Reformation was when the Reformation happened, prior to the Reformation to be single was held up. It was lifted up. It was the better way, and everyone knew that. You were weaker if you got married. But then when the Reformation came, the Reformers kind of took that out of the Reformation, and they elevated marriage above singleness, which went against Scripture. And unfortunately, I think we have to lean upon our Catholic brothers and sisters who get it much more than we as evangelicals get it. That ultimately, God loves each of you. And every one of you will lie on your deathbed. Your spouse might be there or might not. But you will enter into heaven, into the arms of Jesus And we'll be in eternity where there will be no marriage because there's no need because who are we married to? We're married to God. And we get to experience the intimacy with him forever and ever and ever. And we get to be completely united with one another. This is the picture that the author of Song of Songs wants to bring us to. This is the call not only to healthy intimacy in marriage, but more importantly, to deep abiding intimacy in your relationship with God. And that's why during 2022, we're focusing as a church on our intimacy with God. Because he is a jealous God and he longs for your affection. And so we began that with knowing self. This summer, we're continuing that with just focusing on knowing God himself. Reading the book Knowing God by J.I. Packard. We're going to do a survey from Genesis throughout Revelation and read through the Jesus storybook. Hopefully that you'll do that with your kids so that we might know him more deeply. We have a reading guide for you every day that will go along with the sermon series that begins next week. We hope that you do that. And as you read God's word, you hear him whisper to you, you are my beloved. And then you say to him, I am yours forever and ever. When Christ comes again and we live internally with him, we will be his bridegroom. Fully seen, without shame or loneliness, the symphony, the symphony will be made complete. And this table where we're going to come in a moment, this table, we come to it with holy longings. And it is a taste of the sacred romance because you're never going to be more united with Jesus Christ than in the moment when you partake of his body and of his blood as we come to this table this morning. Let me pray for us. Father, we are so grateful for the Song of Songs, that you included this incredible romance in your word. And while we see this romance, we also see our own marriages. We see our own love for our spouses and how we fall short. And we ask this morning that you would forgive us 
that you would help us to be better husbands and better wives. And this morning as we read this beautiful text, we're also reminded how we have failed to love you, to receive your romancing of us and your deep affection of us. And so will you forgive us this morning? And as we partake of the bread and the cup, we celebrate your forgiveness. We celebrate our union with you. And we celebrate that one day you will come back and we're going to have the most beautiful, incredible wedding feast. And it won't be, be between a husband and a wife. It'll be between us as followers of you and you, Jesus Christ. We long for that day. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.